Hello, all of you, and welcome to Grace Baptist Cartersville podcast. Before I turn it over to Pastor Kyle, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. Hope you're having a great day. My name's Pastor Kyle. I'm the current pastor at Grace Baptist Church. If you'd like more information on our church, uh, I would love for you to reach out through Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Our worship services are on YouTube as well. If you would like some personal connection and you'd like to email me, please feel free to email me at kyle, K-Y-L-E, at gracecartersville.com. Let's go ahead and get down to it today. If you've got your Bible and you're following along with us, go ahead and turn to James chapter 3 in the New Testament. And while you're doing that, I want to ask you a question. Do words matter? Now, I asked this question, and I'm going to ask you to reflect back on some moments and some thoughts that you have on an anniversary that we just celebrated a couple uh, days ago, and I want you to think back to September the 11th of 2001. While the United States of America was under attack, stories very quickly began filing out of certain individuals that exhibited feats of bravery. That Some of these feats of bravery had only been known in few other times in our American history. Now, since then, there have been lots of movies made about these events. There have been TV shows dedicated to them, documenting them. And maybe none have been so well known as one man who uttered Two simple words. As Todd Beamer and others in a small group learned of what was happening at the World Trade Centers in the Pentagon, they realized that their plane, Flight 93, was likely headed someplace similar. They made the decision to storm the cockpit of the plane where terrorists had taken over and and decided to take the plane down in an open field in Pennsylvania. In a recorded conversation, right before going into the cockpit, Todd Beamer could be heard as saying, You ready? Okay, let's roll. Very soon after, on two separate occasions, President George W. Bush used the words of Todd Beamer once in an address to the World Congress Center and then a second time in a State of the Union address as well. These words, let's roll, unified a nation which in our day and age, unfortunately, seems like it would be an impossible task. But it does prove the impact that words can have. These words came from a man on a plane, and he had no idea the ramifications of what he said. So, getting into this account of James, how important then are the words of a preacher or of a teacher? It doesn't mean in the text that, Some words have a greater meaning than others. It doesn't mean that just because you have a title that words are more important. But let's take a look at what the Scripture says, and we will go from there. James 3, chapter chapter 3, verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder 
wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? Can my brothers and sisters or a grapevine, can it produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Let's pray together. Oh God in heaven, as we consider the things that we say, Open us up, Lord, to conversations that we have, the way that we deal with people, and through your Holy Spirit, convict us of ways that we should be different. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Now, back to that question that I asked. Do words matter? How important are the words of a teacher or a preacher? We must understand that when people are placed regardless of age, in someone's care with the expectation that we assist them, especially in understanding God's Word, there is definitely an earthly accountability. But also, we just saw in Scripture that there is accountability from the Lord also. He holds responsibility for those who teach. Go back to verse 2. James settles with all of us just a little bit, and I appreciate this. I don't know if you do, but after hammering out some expectations really over the last couple of chapters that we are to be doers of the word, James does give and admits that we all stumble. Isn't it comforting to know that sometimes? Isn't that nice? Now, there is still an expectation, but it's an expectation that none of us can keep. James is not expecting perfection, and in some translations where mine says anyone that does not stumble is mature, others say anyone that does not stumble is perfect. But the warning of what the tongue can do is still the main point of emphasis. So far in every section that we have studied, James has given us several different examples or illustrations to shed light on what he means by what he writes. If you go down through verses 3 and 6, we really receive three different examples. When James says that the tongue is best compared to a bit in the mouth of a horse, or the rudder of a ship, or essentially a match, we can't understand James's in if we can't understand James's intention, then we're not paying that close attention to what he says. If something so small as a tongue, a small muscular organ, It directs our whole body just like a bit or a rudder. It unleashes words and phrases that will spread like a brush fire. As verse 5 says, the tongue is small, but it boasts great things. I want to share with you a quick story. I'm pretty sure I haven't shared with you before, but I've had experience of my tongue starting a brush fire. Now, this was in the 
first or second year of marriage uh, that Sarah Beth and I were in, and we were trying out a new restaurant here in our town in Cartersville, Georgia. We loved it. We've actually gone back there since then numerous times, and we had great service, but this one time in particular definitely stood out. This waitress that we had was very helpful. She did a great job serving us. The only problem with the whole experience, well, I had to open my mouth. So going back to this waitress, I figured her to be in her very late teens or early 20s, and I thought that she had the sweetest, most old-school Southern accent that I'd ever heard. So talking with my wife about it, I kept asking my wife, thinking, you know, do you think maybe she's from South Georgia? Or maybe this is like a Southern Mississippi accent that that she's bringing about. And my wife, trying to give me some wisdom, trying to tell me, she kept saying, Kyle, don't say anything. Just don't say anything at all. Listen, you're going to embarrass us all if you say anything. And, of course, I shrugged it off. Ah, it'll be okay. I'm going to be really nice about it. It won't be a big deal. So, naturally, young lady comes back to her table, and finally, I can't help myself. I look at her, and I say, okay, I've got to ask, where is your accent from? Her face, very quickly, kind of fell. She lowered her head a little bit. Smile went away from her mouth. And she said, well, actually, it's not an accent. It's really a speech impediment. Oof. Immediately, I was toast. I tried my best to play it off. And I said, oh, and here I am bringing attention to it. I am so, so sorry. She was super sweet. Told me it was all right, even though clearly it was not. I knew it was not okay. Uh, She didn't come by our table much after that. And even when she did, she sure didn't say much. And I wonder why. Uh, Just between you and me, if I could have crawled underneath the table and died, I would have. I'd been just fine with it. Pretty sure my wife would have been okay with it too. My wife actually got to enjoy me looking as much like an idiot as I did. And she still brings it up and we mention it and laugh about it to this day. So very quickly, we left a very generous tip, which was the least that I could do at that point. Still didn't cover all the damage that I'd done, and we left. But think of the fire that I spread with my mouth. Happened in a hurry, didn't it? And this is just done in my own ignorance. Didn't even mean to. But friends that are listening, I want you to consider something. Think about the things that we say to other church members. I promise you, From what we just read in scriptures, if you are still under the assumption that sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you, please understand that this is a lie straight from the devil. We have more ability to hurt with our tongue than many of us could ever hope to accomplish through physical pain. When we do open our mouths, what are the consequences of such an action? Think about the fires that you've started with your mouth and that you've even said certain things to lost people. Isn't it bad enough that we break down fellow believers? But is it not worse that we become a stumbling block for someone who doesn't believe because we were the ones who were a hypocrite? This is what verse 8 considers as a deadly poison. Praise God. 
He changes the hearts of people, and He changes the hearts of lost, while so-called believers sometimes would be better off not having a tongue at all. I'm going to be quite honest with you. I'd rather some of us cuss like sailors than say some of the things that we do about or to lost people. Tell me it's not worse. We proclaim this high sense of morality because we won't utter certain four-letter words deemed by our society as bad because we claim to be more sophisticated than that. But when we resort to name-calling, making fun of, or demeaning someone who thinks differently or believes differently, and we say things most often in the name of humor, how does any of that behavior draw someone closer to Jesus? How does this language glorify God? We're not holy in that way. And if our words are so polluted, you might as well let the cuss words fly. Why? Because your heart is already trashed. And yet it's with this same mouth that we come to a church and we sing praises to the Lord. We proclaim the name of Jesus as above Lord as Lord of all the name above all names. James gets back into the question asking mode again, how can this be? Does sweet and bitter water come from the same place? No, it does not. Can figs come from olive trees? Absolutely not. How about a grapevine? Does it produce figs? No, no, no. Neither can a salt water spring that's contaminated and unfit to be used or consumed. Neither does it bring about fresh water. A true believer does not speak in such a way that belittles another person created by God with any regularity. Measured again against the royal law of Scripture that James mentions back in chapter 2, does such talk show love to your neighbor? Now, with having said all this, how do we guard against it? James has already given us part of the remedy back in chapter 1. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We often live under the assumption that the more that we say, the smarter we really are. And it couldn't be more of the opposite. I shared with you before that a proverb a few weeks ago that even a fool is considered wise when he says less. Let's not fall back on the crutch that we will indeed stumble, that we will not be perfect. We must strive to guard against our words. To guard our words a little bit better, I'm going to ask you two questions today. Those are our main points, and then I'll give you a big idea. First question, how is your delivery? Now, I've already shared with you one private personal story, but I've got to tell you, When I read and when I study for a sermon, the Word of God has a way of working on me as well. If it doesn't, then that means I'm not that much of a pastor. But this one's personal. This is how the Lord worked on me this past week. The last story I told you was funny, but during this conversation, it was one that a couple that Sarah Beth and I know very well, we were sitting and having dinner, and... Something came up. They brought up to me that we had had a previous conversation that truly bothered them. I was totally unaware of it. Didn't know what had happened. They shared that I'd said some things that really hurt them. Now, just being honest with you, my gut instinct is usually to get pretty defensive. 
I remembered this conversation after they brought it back up again, and I remembered pretty well what I said. I still stood by what I said, but thankfully I could sense the Holy Spirit through my study of James convicting me, telling me, Kyle, hear them out. So instead of defending, I wanted to ask questions and get down to the bottom of it. My first question was, what was it that I said that hurt you? They thought for a minute, and they were able to be honest with me. They said, eh, you know, maybe it wasn't what you said so much as how you said it. This is free confession for you, the listener. My tone often gets me in trouble. I can spew poison with the best of them. And more often than not, it's not the words that I use, but the way that I use them. Here's a word for all of us. Perception is reality. My intent didn't matter at this point. The perception that they received was not love. That means that my truth spoken was done without love. And if my truth is given without love, which Ephesians 4.15 tells us to do, then my words do not matter. Again, as I'm studying through the book of James, I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit, and in the conviction, I had to apologize to this couple. Were the words that I said correct and truthful? Yeah, I, I think they even somewhat agreed with the words themselves, but my delivery crashed and burned, and it ruined the whole conversation. With the lost world, our delivery makes all the difference. We don't waver on what the truth is. We don't need to waver on what the truth is. But our delivery must be received in love. Not how you would receive it, but how the other party can take it. If we dispense our truth in a delivery that is without love, we ourselves become a stumbling block, and it's not the other party's fault. We've got to remember, it's not the words that we say, how we say them. Second question, how do your actions support your words? We read this book of the Bible, and we've got to remember that chapters and verses were divvied up by man. And there's a tendency for us to read parts of the Bible, and because of the chapter and verses and where they are, we don't always put it together what the author intended. So this question could also be asked this way, how do our works or... How does doing the Word coincide with our words that we speak? Do our words and our actions match? Put it yet another way, are you walking the walk and talking the talk? These are James's instructions. If we are not doing the Word of God, even if we say nice things, we're living in disobedience to the gospel that we surrender to that tells us our life is no longer about us, but about pleasing God. If we say, the Lord is my shepherd, are we allowing the Lord to lead? If we say, the Lord is my strength, are we showing our strength in Him? If we say, pray for your enemies and those that persecute you, is that our practice? Just the same way that faith must produce works, our words should coincide with our works. We've got to do both. And church family, I'm going to be honest with you, there are times... I truly believe that we're not good at doing either one of them. 
James 3.1 is specific to call upon teachers and the accountability that comes with this title. But we have studied in the past that we are all teachers. We are all teaching something about Christianity to others around us. What is it that others are learning about Christ from you? And what are others learning based on what you say? Here's the big idea. Words matter, but talk is cheap. Words matter, but talk is cheap. Most definitely, your words matter. What you say is a representation of you. It's a representation of your family and your church family and everything else in between. Our words are binding. They should be a reflection of our faith. And the best words that we can share to anyone has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with our Lord and the work that he performed through Jesus Christ. What we call the gospel. Good good question for all of us. And I asked it in a men's class this past Wednesday. How well can you articulate the gospel? What is the gospel? I promise you, I explain it in some form or fashion every single week on this podcast. If you're unsure, I'm about to touch back on it here in just a moment. Hang with me. But these are the most important words that we can share. Words do matter. But too much talk, not enough action is hypocritical. Or talking one way and then acting another? Just like supply and demand, if there are too many words, then they become worthless. If we find ourselves having to tell others all about how big our faith is and how much we've done for the Lord, if we have to tell someone how spiritual we are, one, there's no humility in that. Two, people don't want to hear it from you. They want to see it from you. Third, remember that the words of a wise person are limited. Speak less, it matters more. Remember, it only took Todd Beamer two words to rally an entire nation. What is it that God could do if you surrendered your mouth? Watch what you say, how you say it. Remember that everything we say and do is with the purpose of pleasing our Lord in heaven. If we truly have the intent of wanting to please the Lord, then we must be careful of what we say and the delivery in which we give it, especially if how we say it could poison the truth to the person that's living, that's listening. Now, as we close Let me go back to that gospel for a minute. You can't see it, but I I want you, if you're listening, to hold out your hand with all five fingers up so you can count them one, two, three, four, five. This is a simple way of expressing the gospel, and I'm going to start with the thumb, okay? Make a thumb and, and do like a thumbs up, but then point it at yourself, okay? Pointing your thumb at you. We realize that God created us. The gospel starts with God, that he created everything, including you and me. Now, if you point with your pointer finger, if you're pointing to an audience or whoever you could point that finger at, we have the understanding that all of us are sinners and fall short of God's perfect plan for us. Anybody that you can point at is a sinner. And we always say, if you're going to point your finger, there's three of them that are pointing right back at you. 
Well, that creates a problem. That means that we're separated from God. But then God did something amazing. Hold up your middle finger, your birdie finger with the rest of them. This is the finger that gets us in trouble, but it's taller than all the other fingers. God sent the one that was greater than all of us. He sent Jesus to this earth. What makes him greater than all of us? He lived the perfect life that we couldn't because we were corrupt with sin. He made Jesus live a perfect life here on earth. Then we go to that ring finger, okay, that I have my wedding band on, and it's a reminder that it that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to not only live a perfect life, but to die a death on a cross for our sins that we deserved. God loved us and demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then you get to that pinky. That pinky finger, anyone ever made a pinky promise before? Well, here's a promise that we have from God. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that He resurrected from the dead, we will be saved from our sins. We will be joined back in God's relationship, in relationship with God, and we'll be able, we have the promise to live eternally with Him. That's the gospel. Hopefully you have an understanding and a belief in the gospel and you've received the Holy Spirit. If not, that's a perfect question to ask if you'd like to email me. I'd love to have a conversation with you on what it means to be saved if you're unsure that you are. But this is our foundation. We have to start with the gospel. We've got to use our mouths for the glory of the Lord in sharing it. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we love you. Lord, we surrender even our mouth to you, that our mouth would honor you, would praise you, and that we wouldn't be double-tongued or hypocritical in praising your name, but then putting down the name of someone else that you created in your image. Help us, Lord, to speak as you would have us to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Again, find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Our services are on YouTube. Email me if you've got questions. Before we leave, we always say that before we go, we love God, we serve others, and we show grace. Have a great day.